Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> what are you calling this? <laughs> I'm Pia Mancini and I'm here with Errol Fox. And today we are talking to Dima Davidoff. Dima, how are you today? Well, thanks for having me and I'm really well. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Glad to hear. You are coming to us from the UK, is that correct? You yes, that's right. From London, UK. Amazing. How are you enjoying Barcelona so far? To be honest, I'm falling in love with the city. I've been here in 2016 for two months. We've done a, a flat swap with some guy uh, from Barcelona and it was an amazing time. I was going like to the beaches like every day playing volleyball and I, I still have those memories with me. And now being like on the Petpon conference is completely different experience in a way, but also it brings good memories and reminds me how beautiful Barcelona is actually. So Dima, you work as a product designer in a travel agency? Yes, yeah. online travel agent. But you're also freelancing a lot. Actually, I used to be freelancer uh, for six years up until uh, 2021. I still do some side projects in the evenings when I have time. So yeah, I guess I guess you cannot get rid of that freelance spirit within you, even though you work for someone. Right. So tell us a little bit about like design tooling differences when you freelance or when you work for your company. How is that going? For example, when you work for a company, especially if you already coming in into the settled team, a mature team, they already using some kind of a software. So you have to adopt that software and uh, Nowadays, most of the times it is Figma because I think it's a commercially proved software. It has a, a track record as been a successful design software and collaboration tool. So my current workplace, we use uh, Figma. But on my side projects, I have more freedom because most of the time I, I'm a sole designer on those projects. And I can choose whatever I want to use. And I have this kind of mindset that I don't want a tool to own me, but instead I want to be able to use any tool I want. And this actually pushes me towards considering other tools apart from Figma, even though it's a nice tool, but considering what happened with Figma recently, the Adobe acquisition and things like that, it makes me think. So yeah, getting back to choosing the tool for side projects, I'm actually exploring PenPod like right now and I'm considering to use it for my side projects because I think well first of all it's an open source software and nothing beats that so if you have a choice of kind of open source tool you can use it's just definitely something you have to consider first I wish PenPod would be around the block for a longer time because it's for some people it's harder to make this choice because it's a pretty new tool and the ecosystem is not that developed just yet. I'm thinking that at the right time, we can start using it. The roadmap looks pretty good. So being on conference actually helps a lot to get the confidence in the software, in the team behind it. So yeah, I might not give you an answer straight away if I'm gonna use that for my next project, but I'm seriously considering it. So I guess that if Adobe acquisition, for example, is making you think it's also making potentially some companies think, right? Like, are we still 
like using a software that it might not be or it might change in the future or things might change. So what do you think takes for like a medium or small sized company to make that change? How difficult do you see that happening? I can share my experience. So I've built uh, one uh, project in Adobe XD not that long ago. And uh, now Adobe decided to disconnect the Adobe XD pro like uh, product overall. And because obviously they acquired Figma, Figma is more popular tool and it's a direct competitor. It makes sense probably from the business perspective, but it doesn't make sense from the user perspective. I mean, they didn't provide any migration tools for me, so I can actually easily transfer my existing Adobe XD project to Figma. And that makes me think like, why would I trust this company? Even though like I'm considering using Figma, the new projects I'm starting, I'm, I mean, I'll think twice whether I would do it or not. I can share like some pain points, how difficult it is to transition because like literally they haven't done anything like zero for uh, migration between Adobe and XD. There is not even single plugin by Adobe, which actually help doing it. So yeah, for me, it is really frustrating. I mean, I found a hack how to do it, but it's still like a lot of manual work and things like that. But yeah, the lack of support just uh, kind of disappoints me and uh, I'm losing the face, you know, in the company and this acquisition doesn't inspire me <laughs> at all. I love the journey that you've taken on a, us on so far, given that when I started in design, I was using, I had to remind myself of the name of the tool. It was Axier, which Axier. was a wireframing tool. <laughs> yeah. There might be some other old, oldie designers listening that remember using Axier and how kind of bad it was as a tool to use. But it reminded me of how much has changed in 10 years of design in tooling. And uh, I think what you talk about with the lack of migration for Adobe XD to Figma really shines a light on how important or how more important community is to design now than it has been in the past. And that Pempot by being open source allows for the community to come together to solve its own problems. Do you see a positive future for design communities in open source? What would you like to see designers engaging in more with their tooling? Like what would you advise a designer that has never done open source tools before to, to start with or to, how would you convince them? If you're starting out, it's better to start with open source software. And the reason why is simple, it's free. You don't have any price tags on that software and you don't have to, like, to pay for it every month. You don't have to commit to paying for it. If you're starting out new projects, you don't know how it goes, you know, you, you don't want to invest a bunch of money into it. So even like from the financial perspective, it's better kind of to use that tool to be able to maybe even impact on the development of the tool as well. Even though like Figma sort of having a big community as well, they trying to listen to the community. If you look on their feature delivery, they deliver like two times a year maximum. So they collate all the features and then they just put them out there. But with Penport, you have continuous releases, you know, the community like building stuff, improving stuff, and they release features as soon as they're ready. They don't hold them back. And I think it's better for the user because instead of waiting for six months, you have this thing available to you straight away. Then as a designer, 
to contribute to that software and to make it sort of as your own, like to play part in it. I mean, it's very valuable. I actually think everyone should check it out and see how they can contribute. We all have different sort of experiences. And if someone would see opportunity within like Penport community, I think they should go for it and uh, contribute. So I love all the good reasons why designers can adopt open source. They're fantastic reasons. And I remember going to an Adobe Max conference and how I was struck by the aspect of design that had become very centered around celebrity. And you spoke about how there's minimal releases, like two releases for these big proprietary commercial products per year. And it made me think about how they often save these releases for these big, fancy events. And I kind of wonder your opinions on whether design as a culture is moving away from the kind of hyper-commercialized, marketing-focused, shiny design and more towards like community-led, user-led, participatory ways of doing design through like products like Penpot. I think the difference also like with this kind of shiny events, as you mentioned, they all try to follow Apple. The Apple created this kind of a way of presenting the products and everyone, oh yeah, that works, let's do it. But I don't think it's actually works for software because like if you think about actually about the users, not about the wow effect, users want their features like as soon as they're available. And I think this is what makes it different in the software world. I think you're right. The whole thing about like user experience is about the users, right? About the people, listening to people, getting to know their opinions, getting the input in whatever you do. And open source actually gives this platform for all people to come in and share and learn together and improve. So 100% open source, it's a sort of a equals UX, if you may say that. Thank you, Dima. We, unfortunately, we are running out of time. This was a great conversation. Two final questions. What was your highlight at PenPodFest? It's a tough one. <laughs> it's a really tough one. I'll be very diplomatic. I'll, I, I'd like to highlight the whole event. And if no one been here, you guys really missed out. I mean, I hope like you'll think about it next year. The level of the event, the conference, the speakers, the organization of the whole thing is just amazing. I really enjoyed it. So highlighting the whole thing and thanks guys for doing it. That's great. Dima, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter. I think that's the best thing. I, I'm, I'm posting some stuff there from time to time. Amazing. So. We'll get that link out to you uh, with the podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. That's all for us. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Hello and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design, the podcast. We are still in Barcelona, still at Penpot Fest. We are having our last few conversations with amazing attendees and amazing speakers. I am your host today alongside Pia. I am Errol Fox and Pia. Pia Mancini. We're going to get into talking to Madeline about their work. You work as an associate interactive designer at Red Hat. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do at the moment? And then I'd love to hear more about where you've come from in your career. I recently have been the team lead for the Fedora design team. 
And it's been a very quick learning curve of using open source programs like Inkscape, Pinpot. I mean, that's why we're here. And even Blender or Krita, like I think it's only been in the past two years that I've gotten quite comfortable with them. And so with the Fedora design team, I'm working with a few people from Red Hat, but it's mostly like community members who we just constantly want to come back because they're great to work with. A lot of logos, but, and my coworker Mo mentioned this earlier, it's like wanting to do more than just logo work and kind of going past that. So you talked about working with the design community. And I'm really curious about the logistics of how that works mm. at Fedora and Red Hat, as well as like maybe some tips that you might have if there are other organizations that want to involve the community with their design work. And I'm assuming that they're unpaid community designers. Yeah, it's just pure passion, which I think is very interesting coming like from school where they're like, you should not accept free work or like, you know, know your worth. But I think that when you are so passionate about something and you can see the worth in putting in work, which will benefit you and then hopefully a larger community in the end, it's worth it. But I feel like social media is like a big thing. I know a lot of like social media people use Twitter. I'm not on Twitter because it's not the vibe that I want to be with. But one of my coworkers and I, we recently started a TikTok because we want to show videos in like a short format to like younger people who like that's where they are. Just kind of outreaching on social media. And then we have a public group chat on Element or IRC, like whichever you want to do. So you can always talk to anyone regardless of the time zone. And then just, you know, making it clear that we have meetings every week that anyone's welcome to join, whether it's talking to us like face to face or if you just want to watch the live stream because you're not comfortable yet. We use like open source tools like PeerTube to spread the word instead of YouTube. So would your top tips be to engage more in the social media aspects for other yeah. open source? Okay, okay. Yeah. Watching the Blender talks, I was like, gosh, like I want like to share more tutorials, to talk more about that with people because I feel like a lot of my peers know about the donut tutorial for Blender. When you're getting into Blender, they're like, oh, you got to use the classic donut tutorial. Like that'll teach you what you need to know. And it's just funny that that's a bubble. Like not everyone obviously knows that. So social media is really great. It's the third space, essentially, of the 21st century. So you mentioned before about uh, moving away from logos. <laughs> um, I'm curious, like what your ideal relationship would be between, you know, the design and the community and the software that, that you're building or you're working on? So I'm still like branching from just being like an interactive designer to being a proper UI, UX like designer because I don't have a formal education in like coding at all. So moving away from the logo work, I think that like creating a brand identity for these teams so that they can use like Penpot, for example, to have that asset library. And then any one of them on the team can really easily splice something together and not always have to come to us. Obviously, we don't want them to never come back to us. But I feel like 
giving them the fishing rod so they can do the fishing themselves. I think a brand kit is really important. I think some people might listen to that and go, oh, a brand kit, that's kind of like one, two, three, ABC kind of design stuff. But often the parts of design that feel like they've been gatekeeped for a really long time by the design community are the things that are like brand identity. And being able to open that up more to open source is such a effort towards collaboration and openness from the design community that I think is like genuinely really beautiful. So brand kits sound fantastic. I'd love to hear you more more talk about like what that might include. But are there other things that you would love to like have more open resources for different teams that you've seen them really hungry for? Well, I feel like a brand kit, like I think it's great to build the bridge relationship wise between designers and developers. And so as a designer, I get intimidated talking to developers a bit about like the technical aspects, but then I know that they also feel the same way when they're like, you have to steer the boat of like what you want specifically feedback wise from them. So I think like making sure you have a few words that establish your, like what you represent, like really goes far in creating that brand identity because then you can find a color palette more than maybe just a logo. You'd have several icons or things that you could use for marketing. Like, I mean, looking at pen pots, like amazing posters and everything, I'm like, they have a very cohesive setup. So I think that would be like probably the minimum for a little brand kit. I'm going to take us in a different direction because something that you mentioned before we started recording was finding community in open source and finding community of people that also share identities with Mm -hmm. ourselves. And diversity and inclusion, however you want to describe that, there's lots of different terminologies you can use to describe diversity, inclusion, equity. But I would love to hear from you about like what you've experienced in open source as a role that is less represented. Design is less represented Mm -hmm. in open source. It's kind of a marginalization in a kind of way. And what you'd like to see more of in in the open source space in terms of like inclusion, diversity efforts. That's a great question. I think coming from art school where like it was a much smaller percentage of straight, like white men. Like it was really interesting then coming to Red Hat where they've done a lot of work to balance things out. But with Fedora, like the design team, I've actually, I feel like worked with more majority of women. And so I think the next step for us is to expand that to not just being like majority white women and going farther with that. And so I've been really lucky to work with amazing UX designers and developers who are trans or just queer in general. And it's really nice to be able to have that connection with them and be able to talk like more openly and honestly about the issues with the work and then issues with the life that like might affect how you use a website or something like that. And so I think that it's just a continuous journey. And I think that open source is honestly something that I feel like more of the LGBT community would find like home in. So you mentioned to us before that the first job you took out of um, college. So tell us a little bit about how that transition, (laughs) that the journey for you from, you know, 
working in or, or being in college to being like full open source. Yeah. Around. Well, it's crazy because when I first met Mo, I think she told me a story about how she's at some conference and she was basically talking crap about Adobe products. And then I think like a head of Adobe was right behind her. <laughs> and I was like, all we've been taught is Adobe. And I feel like I still don't even know how to use it like properly. And transitioning from school to intern to full-time at Red Hat, like there were times where I would have freelance opportunities and they would be like, well, we need a vector file of this. And I was like, well, could I use Inkscape? Like it's a vector file. And they're like, well, I don't know what that is. Can we open it? And I'm like, you should be able to, but I didn't go down that route with them, but I'd like to think that it made them maybe more open to it the next time that someone brought it up. And I think I wish that more schools had more open source like conferences or talks to kind of like just even like bring awareness to them. I'm like, maybe that's what I have to do and go back to my old school. But I think that switching from proprietary programs, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Because I think that they've done a great job with a lot of the interfaces. I think it was Martin's Inkscape talk where he was talking about as long as it's not just one person thinking that their program is just theirs and it's a team effort, it always turns out way better. So I definitely encourage anyone to give themselves a push. Education is such a soapbox for me like anytime anyone mentions the lack of interest that educational in institutions have in open source tools from a design perspective it really I remember how like angry I get but also I have to remind myself that educational institutions are under a lot of stress as well right they're under a lot of stress about like maybe financial contracts with some of these spaces and I remember having this conversation with I'll say an unnamed proprietary software <laughs> that we all know <laughs> when we say that, who that is, about access to educational licenses in refugee camps where they teach code at a lot of refugee camps and people want to learn how to code to get back into various different job markets. But the opportunities for design is proprietary and it still is and that there's this real big effort to do that, to push for more open source tools. I've asked this question to a few guests, but I would love to hear your version of the answer, which is if you were going back to your old school, what would be like your top tip to communicate back to the, the people that might be interested in using open source? Or are there like a number of different things, reasons that you would give fellow like students or other students like this is why open source is a good thing to think about or use? I think the main point that would probably hit a lot of college students would be the cost. But I also think that something that I know a lot of young people, and it's not just limited to them, obviously, is refinding that sense of community and working together and not like being pitted against each other. And I think that open source programs, regardless of whether you're a designer or a developer, really just like hit that home. And so I think that those two points would probably be like the main ones. 
Yeah, it's so weird that designers are sort of, I don't know if they're still taught this. Maybe you can tell me, like being a fairly recent graduate. It's weird that what is taught is this implicit sense of you are competing against your fellow designers. Like I really have always struggled to understand that. And then when you go into the open source space, you see not necessarily an absence of that. Maybe there's a different sense of competition and a different sense of like, ooh, I've got more Mm. stars on my repo than you. (laughs) But yeah, designers collaborating, like what would you like to see more of in design collaboration in open source? In open source, I feel like it would be really cool to have collaboration across platforms. Like I think the talk about the interactive animation and pen pot I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to go home and try this because I would love to work with someone who's doing their skills in Inkscape and then maybe someone in Blender and then we all like compile them together into a beautiful sandwich because I think that that is when you create like the coolest art and design. So mash it up basically. Thank you for that. That was great. (laughs) No, it's really cool to have that voice and really interesting to hear that college versus like Mm -hmm. open source journey. We are still at Penpot Fest, so tell us any highlights from the festival you want to share. Yeah, I think that the Blender talk this morning was really, really cool. But honestly, I think that open source is really behind on animation, like kind of making it well documented, at least. Like, I think that if I wanted to be a powerhouse and just do it all myself, but that's not really the point of open source anyways. I think just being able to talk with so many people from companies and backgrounds that I admire has been a really great opportunity. And I'm excited to listen to all the podcast episodes. (laughs) Amazing. And in a great setting as well, right? Yes. (laughs) Great. So Madeline, where can we find you online? You can find me at my website, madelinepeck.com or on Instagram at madelineart. Great. We will be sharing those links. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sustain Open Source podcast. We're currently at Pinpot Fest, building design freedom for the community. It's a sunny day. I think it's not actually going down, but then there are like birds around. So if you hear anything, yeah, that's Barcelona for you. Hi, my name is Perry. Hi, I'm Pia. And yeah, we're here with Miha. Welcome to the Sustain Open Source podcast. Hello. Do you want to give us a little bit of introduction about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I'm a designer and I've been a designer for 24 plus years now. I started in the late 90s and I've been mostly a designer for like most of that time. But in the last five or six years, I also started sharing what I know with other people. And that has become my main thing actually right now. So teaching designers from around the world how to get better at what they do. And also trying to do as much of that for free as possible. So you seem to have a very extensive career in different kind of areas of design. Do you want to tell us a little bit what are your top maybe learnings that you've acquired over the years? All right. Yeah, well, definitely I have experience with both like small agile startups and then also huge corporations. And initially when I was starting, it was obviously difficult to get those big corporations to trust you as like a freelancer or a small company. And I was really struggling to kind of attract them to me, to kind of make them feel like they can get a lot of value from me. But then I realized how it feels like to work for a corporation, how draining physically and mentally it is. 
And right now we don't even pretend to want to cater to corporations anymore. We prefer small startups that have a vision and a mission. So it's maybe not like a more of a design thing that I learned, but more like the personal thing that creativity comes to die in those ceiling lit rooms in corporations with that gray carpet. So I'm just trying to, after that many years, be as creative as I can, because otherwise it would be pointless for me to continue. And then for that, I need to choose the right clients. Right. And when you say we, is this an agency uh, yeah. or? Yeah. Yeah. The agency itself is now run by my wife, who's also a senior designer. She's been doing this for 12 or 13 years now. So she's taken over the, that part of handling clients and doing most of the best designs that we deliver. So I can focus on other things. But yeah, we're an agency we had at the top of our game, we had 20 or 14 people, something like that. But now we downscale because we prefer to do a couple projects per year, but ones that we're kind of passionate about. Mm -hmm. So right now it's, I think, seven people that are uh, working on it yeah. full time. Choosing life. That's great. Congrats. Yeah. So you moved from practitioning to spending a lot of time teaching. Yeah. What made you make that leap? besides how we hate corporate boardrooms? Well, that is actually a, a funny story because uh, I moved to a different city in Poland. I was tired of the big city and I moved to the seaside and I didn't know anybody there. So I attended a conference and asked them if maybe I could speak at the conference. So they allowed me because probably they thought that I had something interesting to say. And back then I wasn't really that into speaking or anything like that. But That kind of led to some people from the university seeing my talk and they found it interesting. So they asked me to teach at the university, which is even funnier because it's the same university that I myself kind of dropped out of. Mm -hmm. So I never finished the studies. I never got a master's degree. And then I was teaching at that same place, which is crazy. So that kind of started by accident. From that conference, people noticed that I had some weird ideas on how to approach some problems or like innovative ones, let's say. And that kind of led to the university thing. And then I was preparing a lot of materials for the students at the university and just were making them PDFs with some design methods that I came up with. And they started asking me, what book are those from? And obviously they were just made for the class. So I was like, okay, I should probably write the book then. So I wrote the book, then started a YouTube channel because I was bored and it kind of exploded from there. So you actually seem to be very, very involved in like onboarding people and like training people. What are some of the challenges that you described that you faced along the years? Well, right now there is a big challenge that I think it's very important to talk about, especially for junior designers from like all around the world, because there is this big FOMO that is actually fueled by, I don't know if we can say the F word, uh, meaning that, that design tool, can we? Ah, uh, yes, we can. All right. Uh, yeah, because uh, there's a lot of this approach that Figma is like the thing that you need to know. And it's not about design itself, but it's like, oh, I can learn design, but where is my Figma tutorial? And people skip some fundamental things from design just because they want to do like smash A, make a new frame quickly, blah, 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 make an animation and you're done. And they are kind of trying to jump way ahead with that FOMO of making something cool animated in Figma. And in reality, they can still align a simple card, right? So this is creating this kind of association that learning design is like a 30 second tutorial on Instagram or a reel, and it's going to be enough for you to get good. And it's very far from truth. And recently I'm seeing that even though there is so much information around, you know, people are sharing so much stuff you can learn from. 
the quality of junior designers is actually dropping. So new designers are not as good as the new designers were two or three years ago, because there's an overload of content and very fast consumable content that is not really teaching you anything. It's kind of like it's marketing basically. Mm -hmm. So it looks cool. Like you smash a, you make this animation, you know, connect the notes or whatever, but you're not really designing. You're just kind of following a tutorial that has nothing to do with any actual work because nobody makes those animations for real. And we were talking before about another podcast earlier about how design is not only kind of the aesthetics, but also kind of the designing of the strategies. Yeah. And I think that that's maybe what you're pointing at, how... Yeah, that, that, that as well. But also the fundamentals even of just the visuals that are often skipped because, yeah, I want to make a cool looking animation for the portfolio. So I don't care how well my button is aligned. But of course, yeah, the fundamental parts as well. Like I did recently a case study on YouTube where I used pen and paper and then a tablet with some like drawings and sketches. And the main question wasn't like my thought process in sketching that stuff. The main question was, what was the app I used? And it's like, really, you focus on the app and not the thing that I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. And it's thankfully, they, they never asked what the brand of the paper notebook was, because <laughs> that would be even sillier. For the designers who are like early in their career listening to you right now, what are like the key takeaways you can give to them to avoid that stumbling block of trying to just follow the trend and work on design start just online? I, it's going to be controversial, but I would say follow only five design influencers and not, not necessarily me. So like if you don't feel like I'm contributing to your growth, then unfollow me. Definitely just follow five people. Don't follow 20 or 30 different guys or girls because it's going to eventually overload your brain with too much stuff. And it's better to be focused and better to follow people that are, let's say, diverse in terms of the way that they approach design. So not five people that do animation tutorials only, because then that way you're not going to learn anything. And I think that overload and the FOMO is kind of contributing to, to the slower growth right now. Are there like other recommendations that you could give other than yourself? Well, if I could, if I would give a recommendation for a five, then the remaining 20 would hate <laughs> me. So, so no, I, I wouldn't say that. Well, my, my main goal and point is that People always try to like should try to be critical and use logic whenever possible. So if you're listening to somebody with, let's say, 24 years of experience, am I always right? Obviously not. So you shouldn't always trust me. You shouldn't always trust other people that are speaking on stages and things like that. You should use logic. You should analyze it and you should try to figure out whether this person's message is for you and whether the way that they're teaching is uh, going to actually help you, because it's not like there is only one way to design, there's multiple ways. Earlier today during your presentation, you talked about these neologisms or different hashtags that you invented or you yeah. brought <laughs> into the world. Do you wanna tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so this comes from my curious nature basically. And when I notice something, I often realize that it needs to be accessible to as many people as possible. And that best example of this is that frosted glass look that many different apps were doing. And I realized there is five or six different names for that one thing. So if you're a junior, you're trying to learn how to do that. You don't even know what to type into Google. So I wanted to kind of combine that under one term so that people can find it everywhere. And that was my main kind of approach to do this. So yeah, we're at the Pinpot Festival. How are you feeling about Pinpot and everything that I've been dished out today? Yeah, I was one of the, I think, first uh, people to, to start supporting them. 
It's um, mostly because I'm really a strong believer in um, basically allowing design to um, open new life possibilities for people from around the world. And in a way, that's what Figma did. But then they kind of started pulling back things and it's not even possible anymore that much. Like there's going to be some paid features that is going to exclude a lot of people and Obviously, you can't make everything for free, but those self-hosted things, like when I heard the first time Pablo said about self-hosting the cloud, I was like, yeah, this is going to be the future because this is going to be something that allows you to do all those things on your own terms, not to be tied to some corporation with their servers and their changes to their uh, pricing plans and things like that. So I fully support PenPod and I use it sometimes. I don't use it for all my stuff yet because there are still some little features missing, but I try to always communicate those features. So once they, they get there, uh, I'll be happy to switch completely. One word about how you're feeling today after the festival. I took this really weird thing as branding of myself on online, which is wearing a white hoodie and it's 30 degrees weather here. So that thick hoodie actually made me feel like I was in a sauna. So I'm really happy to be out of it. But on stage I had to be, so I was really hot. Right now I'm feeling like really, you know, really good. The venue itself here is just mind blowing. And the, the way the conference is organized is one of the best ones that I've ever been to. So happy and also relieved to be out of the hoodie. And where can we find you online? Right. Yeah, well, the most popular place is YouTube, where I have a YouTube channel where I try to share as much stuff that I know for free. And actually, from all the paid stuff that I do, a lot of the same stuff is on the YouTube channel. The main difference is that it's not as structured, so you need to do the digging yourself and kind of make a plan. But you can learn like literally hundreds of hours at this point of materials. And it's not tutorials of one specific tool, but rather high level things that can help you pick the right path forward. And I try to always say that if you feel like you don't really get a benefit from what I do, then don't follow me. Just find somebody that will push you forward because it's very individual. So I'm not here for the likes and the follows. It's more about making a change. And just one thing I want to add at the very uh, end of it is that my favorite part of every day right now is getting an email from somebody on the other side of the world that either my free stuff or my paid stuff has made a change in their lives. Like they got a job finally after years of being rejected or radio silence, or they got a promotion or they got like much bigger like shift into what they do. And I get those emails and I, I have still the first one that I got like this, I got it framed and <laughs> it's like, it's beautiful, including the emojis and everything. So just feeling like after that many years, making that positive change is uh, really worth it. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for listening. You can email us at podcast at sourcingoss.org. If you have any feedback, follow us on Twitter, rate us on Spotify. Join our Discord and find more episodes of the Sustain Open Source Podcast at oss.podcast.sustainoss.org. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Thank you. <laughs>